Educator here with a great episode. We're going to talk week seven Devi standouts, and we sure did have a lot of them this week. Some of them were obvious, but I think a few guys are flying under the radar, so we're going to talk about a good portion of them. We have a very special new segment, which will I, I will get to that here later, and we're going to finish out the episode by talking about Every player that I currently project to be a top 50 NFL draft selection. And before we go through those players, I'm going to talk about why that is an important indicator here in the rookie big board process. All of that coming your way right now. All right, here we go. Week seven, Devi standouts. I'm going to start here with the wide receiver that certainly took over my timeline. And I imagine he was all over your timeline as well. And that's wide receiver Keon Coleman from Florida State. He went for nine receptions at 140 yards plus a touchdown against Syracuse. But it was his huge freakish athleticism type catch that he pulled in that you've probably already seen. He goes up and shows off a ridiculous catch radius, one-handed grab, pulls it in. It's absolutely freakish. It is the definition of a freak-level play, and obviously I mean that in the best way possible. It was really exciting to see for me the big game overall for Keon Coleman. I just did a rookie mock draft where I talked about the fact that I hadn't seen Keon Coleman really perform at the level that he did early on in the season. And then he comes out against Syracuse and puts up a big game. So I love it. The profile starting to come together on the season, 29 receptions for 418 yards and seven touchdowns. That being said, I do want to see more consistency. I want to see him get six, seven, eight catches each and every week, not have a few huge games. Nonetheless, the NFL is certainly going to fall in love with that catch rate. He is certainly going to fall in love with that athleticism, and he has good speed to pair with that. Keon Coleman is on his way to being a top 50 selection, but like I mentioned earlier, we're going to circle back to that topic at the end of the episode. Next up here, I will highlight a pair of Washington wide receivers. I'm going to highlight Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk. And I've given Roma Dunze some airtime, but I haven't really given Polk too much airtime. And it's definitely time that he gets that credit. So Roma Dunze, 8 for 128 and two touchdowns. He had that big touchdown catch at the end of the game. Roma Dunze, you know, he is clearly the dude in this offense. And he's clearly going to be on the radar as a day two NFL draft pick. If you got on the Adunze train early, that's fantastic. It's really, for me, going to come down to 
uh, what his his final tape review looks like. But nonetheless, the draft capital is going to be there. And then to highlight Jalen Polk here, another wide receiver for Washington that is 2024 eligible. He had six receptions for 118 yards. That's 19.7 yards per reception. And he had a touchdown reception himself. It's going to be really interesting with Polk. You know, I would project both him and McMillan as day three picks right now compared to Adunze, who has, I think, a little bit more of those raw traits behind him. But uh, nonetheless here, uh, Polk definitely needs to be on your radar. Another wide receiver here that you may not have been paying as much attention to is Dominic Lovett. So Dominic Lovett, 5'10", 179, a wide receiver here for the Georgia Bulldogs. And Lovett's coming over from... Uh, Mizzou last season where he played in the slot and he played in a really special role in the Eli Drinkwich offense. It's that slot wide receiver role. Dominic Lovett was the guy that was in the way of Luther Burden, right? And now that Luther Burden is playing in that slot role, he's balling out. But Dominic Lovett was balling out in that role. It's it's a key role in the Eli Drinkwich offense, right? So anyways, Lovett transfers to Georgia, right? And Georgia doesn't normally take transfer wide receivers, so it was kind of a big deal this offseason. And, and all through spring camp and all through fall camp, a lot of the hype here was behind Dominic Lovett, behind Dominic Lovett. And at 5'10", 179, you know, he's got that size to be able to be an effective slot guy at the next level. But the key question is, right, what do wide receivers do at Georgia? They waste away. They, they waste away in terms of production and they waste away in terms of Debbie value. And quite frankly, that's kind of been the story for Dominic Lovett for most of this season. But this past weekend against Vandy, he gets nine receptions for 72 yards and a touchdown. It's not coincidental, right? It's when Brock Bowers, unfortunately, had to leave that game early uh, with what I believe was an ankle sprain. I'm not updated on it. I'm not sure if anybody's updated on it. Um, but Dominic Lovett ended up being the dude in a game without Brock Bowers. So overall in the season now, Lovett is 31 for 282 and a touchdown. I think that we're going to have the opportunity to see more of Lovett now, whether Brock Bowers gets back quickly or if they take their time. I hope they take their time. Quite frankly, folks, from a Debbie perspective, I hope they wrap uh, Brock Bowers up in bubble tape and don't let him see the field again until he's an NFL draft selection. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm sure Brock Bowers would not let that happen. Nonetheless, Dominic Lovett needs to be on your Debbie radar. He is 2024 eligible. If the NFL draft happened today, he'd probably be a day three pick, but he does have some of those traits where he could play his way up. Another guy that may have gotten lost in the sauce a little bit here is Ohio State true freshman wide receiver Carnell Tate. Now, if you're listening to all the episodes on the Rookie Big Board feed, which I, of course, suggest you do, you would have noticed that Carnell Tate was a key part of the conversation between Cooper and Skip in their Devi mock draft episode last week. And Cooper correctly pointed out that Carnell Tate had a ton of hype coming out of spring camp. He had the black stripe removed from his helmet, which if you're not familiar with Ohio State tradition, that's a really big deal for a freshman to have that black stripe taken off of their helmet. It's kind of Ohio State's signal to say, like, you're ready to play, you're ready to contribute. So he goes out here, and in a game where Amika Ibuka is not able to travel with the team for health reasons, Carnell Tate goes out, gets three receptions for 79 yards with a 55-yard reception mixed into that. If we're looking ahead to next season, it does seem that Carnell Tate is, is poised to be the dude in this offense that will not have Amika Ibuka. It won't have Barvin Harrison Jr. So Carnell Tate, you know, if you're if you're trying to project ahead to next year's offseason Debbie drafts, then Cardinal Tate's going to be a guy who's very heavily coveted. 
And if you have the ability to go and try to get him on the cheaper end now, it's going to be worth paying a, a solid price now as opposed to a premium uh, next offseason. The running back out of North Carolina, Omari and Hampton, 2025 eligible. So a little bit of a boost for the 2025 class here with Hampton putting together another big performance. He went 24 for 197 in two touchdowns, or I'm sorry, in one touchdown against Miami this past weekend. He did have two touchdowns, though. One just came through the air. He had two receptions for 20 yards, putting that together. On the season, he's now 112 attempts for 658 yards, eight touchdowns on the season for the Tar Heel, 10 receptions for 98 yards through the air, and like I mentioned, that one touchdown. He is 2025 eligible. He's 6-0-2-20, and I think Hampton's going to work his way into the conversation. If I'm being completely honest with you folks, I've watched Amari and Hampton live a decent chunk, but haven't put him under the microscope, but he's certainly somebody who's going to be a priority for me when I start to dig into the 2025 class. Tatoria T. Mac McMillan out of Arizona. 6'5", 2025 eligible as well. I have talked about T-Mac on this podcast a little bit, but I haven't done so recently. And so I partly want to highlight his Week 7 performance, but I also want to go back and just highlight some key performances for him throughout the season. Now, overall in the season, McMillan is, is 40 receptions for 592 yards and 5 touchdowns. When you watch him play, he is the definition of a boundary threat. He plays really well. Like I said, 6'5". Got a great wingspan. He pairs that with great athleticism, excellent ball tracking ability, good contested catchability. He's got good body control. Sometimes guys who are 6'5", they don't really know how to work their body, but he's got good body control, and he does it with pretty good quickness given his frame. Now, this past weekend against Washington State, he had seven receptions for 68 yards. Now, the week before is really when I should have highlighted him. It's bearing the lead a little bit. He had six receptions for 138 yards against the Trojans. And earlier this season when he played Washington, he had two touchdowns against them as well. I still don't think many people are talking about McMillan. Certainly not as many people that should be talking about McMillan. Now, I don't have a problem with that because that means you, as a listener to the Rookie Big Board, can get ahead of your league mates, which is what this podcast is all about. I am telling you, if there is somebody that you can either stash away at the top of your, your mind here for your Debbie, your Debbie rookie drafts next season, right? Or if he is rostered in a deeper league and you have the ability to trade for him, pretend like he's the throw-in piece on a trade where he's really the piece you're going after, right? I'm telling you, you're going to want to add T-Mac to Toria McMillan to your Debbie roster as soon as possible. Out at Boise State, yes, folks, with the rookie big board here, we are going all throughout the country, we're going all levels of the NFL draft. We're giving you a full scope of the Devi and Future Dynasty landscape. And sometimes that means you got to dig in a little bit. So I pulled two players. I'm pulling two players from the Boise State, Colorado State game because there's two players worth knowing about. But let's start with the blue here with Boise. Ashton Gentry. I think I think it's Gentry is the how you pronounce the last name. The running back here for Boise. 5'9", 210. He's 2025 eligible against Colorado State. He had 31 uh, rushing attempts. He had 212 yards. He had three touchdowns. And that wasn't enough, folks. He had five receptions for 42 yards against uh, Colorado State, against the Rams. Now, on the season, he has 151 rushing attempts for 868 yards and 11 touchdowns through seven games. 11 touchdowns through seven games. That includes four games on the season with 100-plus yards. Two of those games, like this past weekend, we're 200 plus yard games. Ashton Genchi uh, is Genty. 
is absolutely a name that you need to have on your Debbie radar, whether or not I can correctly pronounce it on the first go. Wide receiver Tory Holton for Colorado State. 6'2", 190, he is 2024 eligible, and he's somebody who I know is on the NFL's radar. So right now he's probably a day three selection, but he's the type of group of five wide receiver you need to know about, all right? He's probably going to be on his path to the Senior Bowl, which means we're going to be talking about him a lot more, and it's because he has really high-level production to go with his frame and athleticism. Boise State this weekend, he went 10 for 130, 10 receptions for 130 yards. On this season, he's got 58 receptions for 690 yards, six touchdowns. That is through six games, and five out of six of those games, he's had nine-plus receptions in. And now I want to talk about round out the Week 7 Devi standout segment with a guy who I am going to have high exposure to, I can tell you already, it's the wide receiver out of Louisville, Jamari Thrash. All right, he had nine receptions for 120 yards against Pitt. And Jamari Thrash is somebody who I've talked about a ton. I definitely dug into him in good detail here in my recent rookie mock draft. Eight receptions for 75 yards and a touchdown in their win versus Notre Dame uh, the week before in week six. On the season, he has 39 receptions for 639 yards. He's averaging 16.4 yards per reception, and that in plus six touchdowns. Now, that's a pretty good stat line in and of its own, right? 39 receptions for 639 yards and six touchdowns through their first six games of the season. But when you put it in the context of the Louisville offense, it becomes so, so much more impressive. Now, I mentioned he had 39 receptions. That's 23 more receptions than the second highest total on the Louisville offense. He has 639 receiving yards. That's 413 more yards than the second most on the team. He has six touchdowns. That's four more touchdowns than the second most on the team. Jamari Thrash is the Louisville offense, and folks, he just got here. He transferred over from Georgia State after having a 1,000-plus receiving yards last season. He looks athletic. He looks like he has great hands. He has uh, uh, plays well along the boundary. I like Jamari Thrash a good bit. Uh, he's definitely going to be a, a high-level sleeper target for me as long as we don't talk him out of being a sleeper selection. So maybe I need to calm down a little bit with the sleeper talk here, but Jamari Thrash is definitely my guy early. All right, folks, we're doing it. I mentioned last week that Troy Franklin is on the Devi standouts segment every single week. And you know what? I decided it's unfair. He's taking up too much space, right? Because he's wasting, you know, airtime that it could be devoting to another player. But if you think that I'm not going to hype up Troy Franklin each and every week, then folks, you are absolutely wrong. So I am introducing a new segment here. And it is simply a segment fully devoted to what Troy Franklin has done the past. Hey, it's Franklin. Coming over to play. Hey, it's Franklin. Troy Franklin showed up against Washington, Oregon's toughest opponent of the season. And he just did Troy Franklin things. Now, it was a little bit of a slow start to the game, but he did end up leading the entire game in receiving eight receptions for 154 yards and a touchdown. He had 19.3 yards per reception. It was not a game where Bo Nix was successfully pushing the ball downfield too often, 
But when he needed to push the ball downfield, when he needed a target, it was Troy Franklin that was his guy. So let's total it up, folks, on the season. 40 receptions for Troy Franklin for 689 receiving yards. That's an average of 17.2 yards per reception over 40 receptions. And he has eight touchdowns in six games. Eight touchdowns in six games here, playing as the lead wide receiver here in the Oregon offense. He is seventh in the country in receiving yards. He is tied for fifth in the country in receiving touchdowns. He's tied for 20th in the country in receptions. I don't know, man. Maybe we should be talking about Troy Franklin in the Heisman conversation. He has absolutely been the biggest piece of this Oregon offense. And listen, I know Oregon lost this past week, but it was a great game. It was a game where both offenses showed up here. Uh, I absolutely love what we have consistently seen from Troy Franklin. And we're going to talk about him a bit more here when we're talking about the top 50 projection segment, which is coming up right now. All right, we're going to finish up this episode here talking about the players that I currently project to be a top 50 NFL draft selection here in 2024. Before we actually do that, I want to talk about why draft capital is important and how it factors into the rookie big board process. So I will point out here, I made it through most of the episode without putting the plug in, but because I'm talking about the rookie big board, if you want to see the rookie big board, if you want to look along on the rookie big board as I work through this segment, you can head on over to patreon.com slash rookie big board and become a patron here. Support the work we're doing, support the podcast feed, support all of the, the time and energy that goes into it. And more importantly, what you're going to do is you're going to get yourself in a position where you can be ahead of your league mates here. You'll be in the rookie big board discord, able to ask advice, uh, and you'll be you know, able to, to pull up the rookie big board, rookie dynasty, Debbie rankings, whenever you want. So when you pull up those rankings, one thing you will see because it's, it's very much labeled is draft capital. Now for me, the, my rule here with draft capital, and I say this a hundred times every draft season is that draft capital is an important thing. It is not the only thing. All right. So draft capital, it, it's not the only factor in the equation, but it is a factor into the equation. It is a percentage of my rookie big board rating or RBBR as you would see it. You know, if you pull up the, the rookie big board itself, it's factored into the rookie big board and it absolutely can affect the value of players. All right. And, you know, draft capital, it also projects into part of my rookie big board process is that I actually factor in short and long-term fantasy football projections, like the actual points that that player is going to score. It's all factored into my equation, right? And so draft capital, it, it correlates, right? It has a connection to uh, that projection because the, the higher draft capital that you're taken with, the more likely that you're going to see early volume and early opportunity. And at the end of the day, that's what the NFL is all about. It's about getting that opportunity and then, of course, having the skill set to capitalize on it, right? The, the last thing I want to point out here before I actually talk through my top 50 selections here is, is just a quick note here of draft capital and how quickly it can change in the pre-draft process. So, you know, throughout this season, there's certainly adjustments that I'll make. I'll tweak up, I'll tweak down. They're usually small adjustments. Um, but as the draft 
season gets going, and I'm talking, you know, January, we hit Senior Bowl, we hit Indianapolis, you will see draft projections changing very quickly as I keep an ear to the ground of what I'm hearing from the NFL side of things, because that's really going to give you the most up-to-date information, and that's what the Rookie Big Board is all about. All right, so if you're looking at the rookie big board here, you're going to see draft capital broken down in a few different buckets. And those buckets are really intentional. Nobody that I know of has has copied this format. Nobody that I know of looks at it in the same way. And I think this is one of the biggest advantages of the rookie big board in the way that I look through my process, right? The way that I break down draft capital is not by rounds, okay? There's no use in putting, you know, a a round one, round two, round three draft capital on folks because that's not the way the NFL thinks. And if that's not the way the NFL thinks, then we're not properly putting the value on draft capital that we need to. So here's the way draft capital works for me. Day one early, one through 10 overall. If you're drafted first overall or 10th overall, an NFL team is putting a ton of investment into you. You're going to see the field. You're going to get opportunity unless your name is Kyle Pitts. Too soon? Too soon. Okay. The next bucket here is day one mid, which is picks 11 through 20. All right. So again, Highly invested draft capital, you're going to see the field, but the team hasn't made that same high level of investment, all right? There's something to be said for a team drafting in the top 10 and how badly they need you versus a team drafting 11 to 20. They still really need you. You're still going to see the field, but it's a slight bump down in terms of draft capital. And then here's the big one. Here's why I want to talk about this. The next bucket for me is picks 21 to 50, okay? Because the NFL draft community... Overall, right, there's a consensus number each and every year. It's a little different. It's off one or two for every team. But each and every draft class, they land on a number of players who have first-round talent, all right? That number is never 32, okay? That number is oftentimes somewhere between 16 to 22, 18 to 22, which is where I, you know, I make the distinction there at 21, split the value there and find an average over the course of, of multiple seasons. So that being said here, uh, my my line here is 21 to 50 because the idea here is that after 21, you're probably not what uh, the NFL teams as a consensus consider to be a first round talent. So you're going to come with the same value as a top 50 selection because that's the next bucket NFL front offices and scouts and GMs overall use, right? It's, are you a first round talent? Or are you a top 50 selection? And then we'll talk about late day two selections. And then we talk about day three picks. All right. So that's kind of where I draw my bucket from. And I've talked about this a lot. I I feel like folks kind of push back on it, but I really believe in it. I don't care if you're pick 21. I don't care if you're pick 50. Same draft capital. By the way, it's great draft capital. All right. It's excellent draft capital no matter what. But it's not quite as good as the day one mid. And uh, as day one mid isn't quite as good as day one early. So let's start here with day one early. There's three players here who I expect and I feel pretty confident in will go within the top 10 picks of the 2024 NFL draft from obviously fantasy football relevant perspective. The first one is Caleb Williams. Yes, I know Caleb Williams had the worst game of his career against Notre Dame. He's still going to be the first overall draft pick, right? Uh, If you, you know, watch any football on a Sunday, you will see that there is at least a half dozen teams that would love to get a shot to draft Caleb Williams with the first overall selection of the 2024 NFL draft. 
The next player who I'm very confident in is Marvin Harrison Jr. He's a very special talent. He'll be playing along the boundary. He'll be an X-Factor wide receiver. I actually expect Marvin Harrison Jr. to be a top 50. Or, ooh, just going to try that one again. I expect Marvin Harrison Jr. to be a top five selection in the 2024 NFL Draft. But again, there's no difference between being a top five pick and a top 10 pick. Then the other player that more likely than not will end up being a, a top 10 selection is Drake May. I do think Drake May will get put under the microscope a little bit more than folks are putting him under now. Nonetheless, he has prototypical NFL size. He's got prototypical NFL tools. And uh, we, like I just mentioned earlier, we're going to have a lot of teams at the top of the draft that are going to want a shot at taking a franchise quarterback. So I do think Drake May goes in the top 10 picks. I have three players now in a bucket that's day one mid that 11 to 20 range. The first is tight end Brock Bowers. I do think Brock Bowers could be a top 10 selection, but I feel more comfortable right now calling him a a day one mid selection. I think the size, he'll be a little undersized relative to what NFL teams will want from a tight end, but obviously he's a very special talent in terms of his pass catching ability. He is a consistent and good blocker as well, and he gives you a different level of X-factor athleticism in your offense that's really, really hard to find. And and by the way, folks, NFL offenses more and more and more want that athletic X-factor type tight end. Uh, So I do think Brock Bowers will come with a a premium price tag in terms of draft capital. Next up here is quarterback J.J. McCarthy. I would not be shocked if J.J. McCarthy is a top 10 pick. I've been higher than consensus on J.J. McCarthy all the way through. He's looked really, really good so far this season. uh, And that was just highlighted by another dominant performance by uh, Michigan and J.J. McCarthy uh, this past weekend. Then the wide receiver that I expect to get into this range is Malik Neighbors, the wide receiver out of LSU. Now, there is certainly a ton of competition in terms of wide receiver talent, uh, but I do think Malik Neighbors will be the second one taken off the board. I think it will benefit the wide receiver class overall because there's so much talent in the class that Marvin Harrison Jr. will go early because then it'll kind of be a, a little bit of a game of chicken for NFL teams, like who's going to take that wide receiver two, and that should set off the run. And, and I think because teams will be itching to, to get that, they'll take a wide receiver two in this 11 to 20 range. And for me right now, my highest ranked wide receiver after Marvin Harrison Jr. is Malik Neighbors, and so there's, that's why he finds himself in this range. And then day one, late to day two, mid, that 21 to 50 range, that's where things start to break open a little bit. I organize these guys by position, not their order in the rookie big board. So again, if you're a rookie big board patron, you could just pull up the rookie big board. You'll have access to be able to do that. And you could go and see how these guys are actually ordered. But I wanted to break it down by position. So for quarterbacks, Quinn Ewers and Shador Sanders are the other two quarterbacks here who I think would go in that 21 to 50 range. Shador Sanders, more likely than not, will reclassify into the 2025 class, but I'm not taking him off of the 2024 rookie big board because he is eligible to 2024. And I do think that if he does declare for 2024, he would be a coveted pick in the top 50 uh, selections here. Quinn Ewers, this is where I struggle here. You know, especially with the need at the quarterback position, I do think Quinn Ewers has the ability to be a top 20 selection. Um, I, I think his mechanical foundation is there. I think NFL teams will really appreciate his gunslinger mentality. He's shown more mobility this year. I think he's definitely improved this year, and he has really, really good tape against Alabama. And quite frankly, folks, at the end of the day, that could be all that matters. And that one game of tape, very transparently, could get him drafted in the top 20 alone. So I think I could have a really good case to put Quinn Ewers in the 11 to 20 range, but I did just bump him just just down a little bit here. Uh, nonetheless, I do think if he declares for the 2024 NFL draft, an NFL team will make sure he's wrapped up on a five-year contract. For running backs, this one's tough. 
because I, I want to just point out right off the bat, I, I zero wide receivers, or I'm sorry, zero running backs. I expect zero running backs to go off the board in the first round of the NFL draft. But again, that doesn't matter, okay? It's it's a, it's an overestimated number there. That, that first round running back, that first round running back doesn't matter. I do think Braylon Allen and Travion Henderson could go in the 21 to 50 range. I think they'd be in the 40s. I think they'd be really pushing that range. But those are the two running backs who right now, I think, you know, assuming both of these guys get healthy, have good pre-draft processes, you know, do well in Indianapolis, which I expect both of them will do at the combine. I think they both could go top 50. I think there's room for two running backs in this class to go top 50, not any more than two. So it is a down class, but if these two both got top 50 draft capital at the running back position, it would definitely bump up the running back class a little bit. Wide receivers here, Keon Coleman, Amika Igbuka, Troy Franklin, Xavier Worthy, Rome Adunze. Those are the players who I think right now would be top 50 selections. I mean, come on, folks. Can we talk about the wide receiver talent in this class? The fact that that Keon Coleman, Amike Buka, Troy Franklin, Xavier Worthy, and Roma Dunze could all be late first round turn of the second round guys. I mean, you know, some of these guys would have a legitimate argument for being the wide receiver one in their class if Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't in the class, right? Uh, Keon Coleman, I, I talked about him earlier. Great boundary threat, awesome athleticism, great catch radius. I would not be shocked. He's the other guy that right now I would say, you know, is is in there with Malik Neighbors to possibly be a top 20 selection. I like Amika Igbuka a lot. I just think if you look at his skill set, he hasn't really shown that elite trait. And NFL teams want to see an elite trait. Nonetheless, I think a team's going to look at him, see him as an awesome wide receiver to an awesome flanker option in their offense. And especially in the back end of the first round, I could see a good offense wanting to take Amika Igbuka to complement their, their boundary or X-level wide receiver, which for fantasy football purposes could really sneakily boost up his value. Sometimes it's better to let these guys kind of fall to better offenses, right? The other guy is Troy Franklin. You all know, obviously, I'm really high on Troy Franklin. I think Troy Franklin can be a first-round selection. I don't know if consensus is there yet, uh, but... I definitely think Troy Franklin can be in that range. Xavier Worthy, I think Xavier Worthy and Roma Dunze, uh, those are the two guys here who are closer to the end of this range. I think they're more in the 40s, pushing you know, pushing that, that 50 spot right there. But I do like Xavier Worthy's explosiveness, and I do uh, you know like Roma Dunze's ability to work into the deep field. Uh, so both of those guys will be really interesting tape reviews, and it'll be really, really interesting to track them both through the pre-draft process. So Caleb Williams, Drake May, Marvin Harrison are my early guys. Brock Bowers, JJ McCarthy, Malik Neighbors are my mid-day uh, one guys. And then those guys that are on that day one, day two line, 21 to 50, Quinn Ewers, Shador Sanders, Braylon Allen, Travion Henderson, Keon Coleman, Amika Igbuka, Troy Franklin, Xavier Worthy, Roma Dunze. Folks, that is some really, really good draft capital. I mean, if you were to look at this, right, we're talking about well into the mid-second round of your 2024 rookie drafts of players that could have top 50 draft capital. That is a special class. That should be your biggest takeaway from this segment. We have the opportunity for this to be a really, really special class. I can't say this enough, and I say this all the time, but it doesn't matter. I can't say it enough. Go trade for second round picks. That is the absolute best way to to get value through a rebuild. If you are pivoting right now, if you're looking at rebuilding your roster, second round rookie picks, especially in this class, they are going to be 
so, so, so valuable when it comes time for your 2024 rookie drafts. When it comes time for your 2024 rookie drafts, folks, I cannot encourage you enough to make sure you are a rookie big board patron so you're in the Discord with us asking for advice to those drafts. You would have already read the rookie draft guide that's available to all patrons. You would already have the rookie big board rankings and have direct access to compare the rookie value to Devi and dynasty values as well. As always, folks, I appreciate you checking out this episode of the Rookie Big Board.